This is Two Peas in a Podcast. Um, my name is Lee. Our guest today is O'Neill Atkinson. He is the interim executive director of uh, Time Out Youth Center in Charlotte. And I'm going to let him describe that because I'll let you describe it because you know it better than I do. Um, okay, so you moved to Charlotte in June 2011, worked with LGBT Community Center of Charlotte and QNotes. And then you joined Time Out Youth Center in 2013 and currently working on your clinical licensure. I don't know if you still are. That's what it says here. Okay. Yeah. Currently working on your licensure. And uh, it says you're passionate about developing queer-centered social work practices to effectively serve members of the LGBTQ community, as well as training and educating other systems to be more competent when working with LGBTQ people. I'm so interested in that in particular in your like study area so could you like talk more about that or if you maybe you could explain more about um your path to time out use a little bit or yeah yeah okay. I can kind of go through I'll, I'll kind of talk my way through all of that so okay. first off Lee thank you so much for having me and for you know for just creating this time and and for being so flexible working with me to kind of like nail down a time for us to get together um, I'm super excited to be here and I always love talking about Time Out Youth. I love talking about my social work journey. I love talking about supporting queer people. So like, yes, to all the things that you've already asked. Um, so let's start with Time Out Youth. And so Time Out Youth is a really phenomenal nonprofit organization here in Charlotte, North Carolina. We've been around for 30 years. So um, April of 1991 is when we were initially founded. Um, our founder, her name is Tonda Taylor. She created this organization after a really you know, long journey of her own self-discovery of her identity, after experiencing some rejection from her family and moving to New York, and then decades later in the 80s, moving back to North Carolina to help take care of her family, she realized that there was a lot of work to do here in the community around um, educating and informing people about the needs and the experiences of LGBTQ people, and specifically about working with LGBTQ youth or young people, that there were not good resources that supported them and their needs. And so she started Time Out Youth right in her own home. And so flash forward 30 years, and now we're on Monroe Road, and we have this phenomenal building, and we do all kinds of cool programs and services. But it really all started, you know, again, from Tonda's own journey of experiencing family rejection and then again, having to come back into her community and support her family and be in a community that ultimately kind of pushed her out. And so if she was going to be here, it's like, well, let's do the work to make yeah. so people don't have to leave their communities if they need to. I feel okay. like it aligns a lot with my own kind of personal journey. So yeah. I grew up an hour south of Charlotte. I grew up in Chester, South Carolina. I grew up on a farm. Um, definitely felt isolated as an LGBT young person for much of my life and knew kind of that that part of my identity would just kind of have to go on hold until I was an adult or until I got away. Yeah. Um, I was in college and um, got really into sociology was kind of like the 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 study that interested me the most um, and then really wanted to figure out how to apply soci sociology and sociological principles to like my my work 
And that's when I discovered social work, which to me in a lot of ways kind of is applied sociology. It's understanding how people interact with one another. It's understanding how systems impact the way we, we engage with one another. And then what do we do to kind of modify those behaviors or those systems to create an environment that's more inclusive? Um, and in doing that work, also realized that kind of like Tonda, that I didn't necessarily want to leave, you know, that I want to do that work here because if everyone leaves, then then who does the work? And so um, my journey to actually kind of stay in the Carolinas and to work exclusively with LGBTQ people um, is one that I really kind of started down when I was in college and when I was starting to do social work. And even in some of my first field placements, I realized that even, you know, case managers, clinicians, helping professionals, if they aren't educated or aware of the unique needs of a community or a population, whether that be, you know, people from another country, people that speak different languages, people from different belief systems or LGBTQ people. Yeah. If we don't understand those cultures and the needs of those folks, we're not really effectively serving them. And so for me, when I talk about the idea of doing queer centered social work, it's being yep. a culturally competent social worker that understands the lived experiences of the communities that I want to serve and actually centers those experiences when thinking about appropriate resources, effective interventions, or methods that will help LGBTQ people kind of realize and achieve their own goals. And so yeah. I think for me, a lot of it is really about centering people and their own experiences and validating the identities that we all have, because we are all so much more than one thing. You know, yeah, we're a lot yeah. different players. Yeah. Um, it's one thing I love about Time Out Youth is that this is a place, you know, as I mentioned, we are an LGBT youth center. So yeah. we work with youth as young as the age of 11, and we actually provide services up until someone turns 24 years old. Uh, and I can talk a little bit more as we go about what some of that looks like. Um, but like if you're 11 to 20, you can come in for drop-in space or our discussion groups. Um, drop-in space and discussion groups is really all about social engagement. Uh, it's the opportunity to be around other people, to be able to be authentic, to express yourself in ways that are, you know, meaningful and affirming to who you are and to know that you can do that in a space where you're going to be treated with dignity and respect. Um, we yeah. find very often um, that particularly for LGBTQ people, we feel isolated. And so when we're able to have even just a space to come together and be ourselves, some of those feelings of isolation can be diminished, which can also diminish feelings of depression and anxiety. Um, all of these are things that we know that can lead to suicidal ideations or you know mental health disparities. And so we believe in giving people the space to be themselves. Um, beyond programming, we also offer a lot of supportive services, you know, and so we do free counseling for youth. So we have two really awesome mental health counselors here at Time Out Youth, and then we contract with some other folks to make sure that we always have enough folks to provide services for youth that need them. Um, we also work with youth on case management around their housing and employment goals. So when a young person turns 18, particularly if they don't have the most affirming or accepting families, they might not be getting the support or resources that they need to, to understand how to transition to independent living. And so very oftentimes we help young people kind of navigate that journey into a young adulthood, into figuring out what it means to get your first job, to have your first apartment, to manage bills, to think about secondary education. That can be really overwhelming. And so for, again, for a lot of youth, if they don't have supportive family systems helping them navigate that journey. That's one of the things that we love to be able to help folks do. 
Wow. Yeah. That pretty much encompasses like everything, doesn't it? Like <laughs> everything you yeah. just said. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously it's a substitute, but do you find ever, is it ever something where um, like families are coming to you or is it more often that you're finding like you, these young people coming to the center um, because they don't have that support or is it ever both? It's both. It's totally both. And then some like we yeah. truly I've, I've been with the organization for eight years now. I've had the privilege of probably working with thousands of LGBTQ youth at this point. And I can tell you there is no one story. And I think that's so true for all of us. And again, for all of the different experiences that we yeah. have, there's no one way mm-hmm. to experience, you know, anything fearness or anything. Oh, right. Sure. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's, it's always amazing. I think when, when I get that phone call from a parent whose child has just come out to them and almost the parent is more enthused about getting their child to time out youth than the, than the young person is, you know what I mean? Sometimes they're just like, my kid just came out to me and I want them to be in your space. And then like the young person gets here and they're like, Oh, I don't know if I'm ready for all this. (laughs) Um, so we've had that extreme where like we have super affirming and supportive family systems, um, sometimes we have parents calling, you know, in tears and, and, you know, they're distressed by learning about their child's identity, but they want, but they know that they need to do the work. And so yeah. I also love those calls, you know, when we're, we're talking to parents that maybe don't get it, but they know that they need to. And, you yeah. know, that, that, that's a population that we can work with and we can help them grow. Um, and then also we have some young people that come here whose parents don't know that they come here, don't know that they're LGBT. Um, we have folks who come here whose parents do know and are completely unaccepting and um, even who have rejected them and displaced them from their homes. And so yeah. we have a home program um, for 18 to 23 year olds if they're displaced from their home based on their orientation or identity. Um, we have a collective of volunteer host homes that we train and vet um, to make sure oh, that wow. we disrupt awesome. those yeah. experiences of houselessness um, and minimize them. So young yeah. people don't have to experience don't feel the impact of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, do, you, do you feel that like there's something important about the diverse experiences as far as like within your center for, to have like all these young people coming to it with all these different experiences to be able to like learn from each other as far as where they're at and where they've come from with like varying levels of support? Absolutely, because I think it helps normalize that there is no right or one way to navigate this process. Again, I think sometimes there's a lot of pressure for an LGBT young person once maybe they've self-identified as a part of this community. Sometimes there's a lot of internal pressure to be like, okay, well, now that I've come out to myself, like I have to tell everybody or I'm not really queer or I have to like do this Mm -hmm. thing or am I really a part of the community? And the reality is, is that's not the case. Like you don't have to do anything. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. Cause, and, and that's true. I mean, and for everybody, like the, the process and what their identity looks like is going to vary, um, and how much emphasis they put on it or like what's important to them as far as like the kinds of support or places they seek out. Like I have kind of always felt like I've gone on this process of, of like, no, not being able to pin down any one area of my identity. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I'm just, and and I'm like pretty comfortable with that, but it's also just, it's, 
it's unfair too that people who are very certain of themselves have to be like stigmatized for that like I've always been one of those people who I'm like I don't know I don't know about almost anything and that's not like a winning solid behavior um so I think like somebody who knows themselves at all that's something that's something to celebrate so it's really cool that you can have such diversity of people coming and probably some people who are more certain in themselves to kind of you know inspire (laughs) I think it speaks to the fluidity of just all of this when we talk about you know I mean none of us I don't believe personally our identities are like these static fixed points like I think our, our thoughts feelings and beliefs about so many things both our identity Um, And also just, I mean, all sorts of topics, you know, like evolve and change over time. And I think one thing, particularly, I think at Time Out Youth that I've noticed over the years in working even more so with like trans or gender diverse youth that we that we work with is this idea um, that your your feelings about your identity or your gender can shift. And that doesn't mean, let's say you come in one day and you feel very strongly that you're a man, you know, and then as you're here, as you're exploring yourself a couple months down the road, you're like, you know what, like, I don't know that I am a man, maybe I'm just a non-binary person, and I don't feel very strongly about gender at all. Well, you now identifying as non-binary doesn't invalidate the experience you had before. It doesn't mean that you were confused. It doesn't mean that you didn't know. It just means that you're discovering who you are, and I think there's so much. I like that. Like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's, there's, there's freedom. I think in, in recognizing and acknowledging the complexity and the fluidity of us as people. I mm-hmm. think we are told, like, you know, even like, let's take it to like what you want to be when you grow up, quote yeah. unquote. Like when we're kids, it's like you have to pick a profession, you have to pick a goal, and like that's what you're going to do. And so, like, you know, you're like six years old, and you're like, I'm going <laughs> to be a doctor, and all of a sudden, you build this tension you know, no matter, you know, how real or imagined, I think, as you're going through school that like, well, now I have to do these things because I said I'm going to be this. Yeah. You don't end up being that. What if along the way you, you find another job or another career, another field that like sparks your passion, you changing your path doesn't invalidate or mean that you were wrong, you know, up to that point, it just means you've acknowledged something new within yourself. And so I think when we can embrace that kind of mindset, um, I think it takes away a lot of the pressure around a lot of our, you know, kind of thoughts about ourselves, again, in a much broader spectrum than even when we talk about, like, our sexuality or our gender. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, that was well said. Um, you kind of do, like, stunt your own growth when you have this set idea that, like, things are supposed to unfold in a certain way. Or, or like you said, that, like, something's not wasn't valuable because you took like a circuitous route or something like I don't know you even going back to you you know you left this area right and then you came back like even going back to like Tanda in the beginning of time out youth so you left you came back but do you feel like that time leaving was valuable to have come back like do you feel like in that sense you know um sometimes I think like like even maybe like just jump taking like a, a a turn and like maybe you have to do that to realize something else or you know something like that does that make sense yeah absolutely it does you know for Tonda I mean to share part of her story so she 
came out in the 60s as a lesbian to her family and was encouraged to move to New York at the time because that's quote unquote where gay people were. You mm -hmm. know, what that did though, is that moved Tonda from her home in Charlotte and moved her to New York in the 60s. Tonda was in New York when the Stonewall riots happened. You know, the Stonewall riots are a huge part of, you know, the catalyst, I think, for the conversation around LGBTQ equality and inclusion on a lot of fronts. You know, it is definitely seen, it wasn't the first time LGBTQ people kind of fought back against police brutality or oppression, but it is certainly one that is seen historically as like the catalyst for pride movements that happened across the country. Well, because Tonda moved away, she got to be in the middle of that as it was happening. While she might not have been at Stonewall that night, she was in New York as it was happening. She saw a year later, pride movements, the Christopher Street March, like she saw history in the making. And had she not left, would she have had the passion to come when she came back yeah. to do the work? You know, did she not get something in that journey, yeah. you know, that prepared her for the next step? You know, yeah. me myself, yeah. When I finished grad school, I went to Columbia, South Carolina at USC. And when I finished grad school, I was going to move to London and be a social worker. And so like I had like rented a flat for a couple of months and like got over there and, you know, I ended up having some complications like with visa stuff and ended up having to come back, you know, but by the time I was coming back, it also really grounded me that I don't have to go anywhere to do what I want to do, to create or to make a change for this community. And that why not do that in my home community? Yeah how needed it was you know yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just kind of like the fact that that timeout youth exists in charlotte north carolina you know yeah. i grew up an hour south of charlotte timeout youth wouldn't thrive in chester south carolina the resources aren't there so there's kind of this catch-22 that to have a resource like an lgbt youth center you need to be in a bigger kind of urban um, area yeah but rural communities outside of these urban areas also have LGBTQ young people in them too that need these resources. So we have to be willing to stay in these areas and to do this work so we can reach the people sometimes that need it most. Yeah, that's really interesting what you're talking about because that's gotta be true for so many types of um, services that there are just these vacuums where nothing exists because it's not, I don't know. What? Because it's not an urban area. Because it's not, you know, yeah, there's not true. as much money, or I don't know. I don't know what it is, but it's but, so many factors. Yeah. I think you know, it's not just money. I mean, it's you know, political beliefs. It's you culture. know, just community culture. There's so many factors that come into play. Um, and yeah, I just you know, again, I think it's so important that I, I'm so glad that I did stay, and that you know, one of my favorite things that we do, even though we're here in Mecklenburg County. Um, is we run satellite programming in Gaston, Iredale, and Cabarrus counties specifically right now, and we hope to continue to expand. Um, but by creating those spaces in more rural communities where youth maybe don't have transportation or the support to get somewhere like Charlotte, what we do is we make our programs and services more accessible. And I'll be honest, this happened in a way that I don't think any of us at Time Out Youth imagined last year when we had to adapt all of our programs to virtual platforms. It allowed us to reach youth that we've literally never reached before because they even couldn't get to a satellite group, but they can log on and join us virtually. And so uh, we learned in this past year, I think the value um, of virtual platforms in order to create social connectedness when we have to be physically distant. So yeah. um, 
I'm glad you mentioned that because I was gonna um I was gonna ask kind of about like the last year and how that affected your programming. So I'm sure there are ways it's made it a lot harder, but it sounds like obviously there is some benefit to it that you were able to reach more people. Yeah, maybe wouldn't be able to physically show up. Yeah, it was um it was is wild. I mean, it was wild for everybody. I mean, yes, last year and still today. I mean, you know, I'm not going to pretend that we're not still in the midst of this pandemic, yeah. but um, this has been an unprecedented time for everyone alive right now. And you know, yeah. for an organization like Time Out Youth, who our emphasis is so strongly rooted in social connectedness with the people that we serve, this idea of physical distancing or sheltering in place is really kind of counterintuitive to the way that we do the work. Uh, yeah. But we also knew that the work had to continue. And so, you know, we were really fortunate that, you know, we were able to adapt very quickly. And, you know, we have a Discord server now that has hundreds of young people on it where they're able to access, you know, staff and volunteers and interns, you know, all the time. And there's drop-in space and there's virtual programs. Um, there's also Q Chat Space, which is a national chat platform that we help manage discussion groups on. Um, but by being able to adapt our programming to those virtual platforms in the midst of this pandemic, yeah, I mean, there are young people now that we are starting to reopen and do some in-person drop-in spaces. There are people showing up on Saturdays for our drop-in spaces that have never been to our organization in person before, but they've been with us for the past year through virtual platforms. And so now, as we are starting to really navigate what does it look like to bring in-person programming back on a normal schedule or a recurring schedule, we're also going to have to figure out how we keep all these virtual platforms that we've created because we don't want to lose what we've gained. And there yeah. is I think, growth in, in such a unprecedented time as, you know, as this past year has been, you know, we do look at the virtual engagement as a learning opportunity in a way that we were able to expand during this time. Yeah. Wow. That's well, that's I mean, that's a, if there's anything positive that could come out of it, I guess it's being able to reach more people with that. Um, do you so that's strengthened your satellite programs, you said, or you think it it was just helped you reach more people? I'm not sure. How, how do your satellite programs work exactly? Yeah. So the satellite program it, it and first answer your question, it um it impacted our ability just to reach more people across the board, even people here in Mecklenburg County. I mean, the reality is, is there could be someone that lives three blocks from us that could walk here. Yeah. But if their family system isn't supportive and isn't going to allow them to come here, if they're still just personally not in a place in their journey where they're ready to step into a physical building and to, to engage in this community, mm -hmm. that can be intimidating for folks. And so, but to join a discussion group online that's purely text-based, you know what yeah. I mean, might be a softer step or entry point for someone. Um, so it was even bigger, I think, than just increasing our ability to engage with people outside of our service area or our physical location. Um, this made our space more accessible even to people that are our neighbors, you know, that are right down the road from us that maybe just yeah. haven't been able to get here before. Um, our satellite programs themselves, when Pre-COVID, they were physical groups that we would hold in each of those counties. So once a month, we'd go to Gaston County. We had a location where we would run basically like a mini day at timeout youth for youth in that county. So instead of having to come all the way to our office on Monroe Road, we would go into their community. We would create space and they could come there. 
Um, and then we also did that in Cabarrus and Iredale counties. Um, now, we still run those programs, but they are on our Discord server. So it is back to virtual. Um, but there are people even in those groups that like even when we would go to Gaston County, look, if you're 14, 13 years old and your parent isn't accepting, they're not going to drive you to our group, whether it's a minute away or 30 minutes away. And so, yeah. but that young person can get on their phone typically. Um, you know, most youth are Discord is a very popular platform with young adults and young people. Um, so it's accessible, you know, so even if they aren't able to get to our physical locations, whether it be a satellite group or an in-person group in Charlotte, um, they can now access our programs virtually. And so that was where we really realized I think kind of how many people we weren't reaching, you know, just yeah. because of how many people we were able to all of a sudden reach um, by creating virtual spaces. Um, I wanted to ask you, sorry, I'm talking so slow because I'm having to go back and read over this. Um, you've already provided like so much awesome information for anybody like who didn't know about the organization before. Do you feel like during this time there's are any like vacuums or opportunities for volunteers? Like if somebody wanted to get involved, like what areas might be more in need than they were before? Yeah, absolutely. So volunteering has probably been the most interesting thing to adapt over this past year, because again, so many of our volunteers were here in person helping us manage drop-in space, manage discussion groups, working our front desk, doing special events with us, and there's been a lot less of that. Yeah. Uh, we are getting to a place where we are going to slowly um tier our programming back open so people can come right now we're doing saturday hours from noon to four so we do need volunteer support to help with that um, and we are doing a couple of groups on thursday nights right now um, we are going to continue to kind of monitor what happens over the next couple of months as we slowly you know add additional programs into the week um, as that happens we will definitely need more volunteers for in-person programs um, as you can imagine since we work with youth um, there is a process to becoming a volunteer with us yeah. there's an application you have to go through an orientation background check there's definitely some vetting before we just let people come into this space we have to be very protective of that mm -hmm. um, if folks are listening and they're interested and what it might be like to volunteer with Timeout Youth, I definitely encourage you, you can go to timeoutyouth.org slash volunteer. You can read in detail about what volunteer opportunities can look like mm -hmm. uh, and go ahead and sign up for our next orientation, which will probably happen um, probably in September. I have a feeling like October, November is when we're really going to like start preparing um, for a more regular kind of programming schedule. And again, we're we're adaptive and know at this point that that could change at any moment, you know, just the yeah. way things are going. Um, but I do think right now, just reading about our volunteer opportunities, a lot of which is just being present in our space. You know, when young mm -hmm. people come in for drop-in space, we want to have fun, engaging, and affirming adults in our space that want to play a game with them, that want to talk to them about their day, that want mm -hmm. to, you know, just be a listening and validating ear. And um, and our staff is small. We can't be in every room all the time. And so volunteers really do help 
create the welcoming and inclusive environment that we want here at timeout youth and and those opportunities will be coming back and so like i say timeoutyouth.org volunteer you can read up about those opportunities you can even put your your name on our interest form um, and we'll be sure to keep folks in the loop as those opportunities start coming back online awesome thank you for that uh hopefully if anybody um is interested that gave them, I'm sure that that gave them more information about yeah. that. Um, so I'm going to pivot real quick and I don't want to take up too much more of your time because you've already set so much time um, aside for this. And I appreciate that. I know you're probably very busy um, being the interim director with everything that's going on. Um, okay, so just, I guess, from the time that you've worked with Timeout Youth and from everything you've done leading up to it, from your work in, maybe you could talk more about that as far as like creating more competency in um, systems and in, you know, how we work with each other. And it doesn't necessarily, maybe you've learned things, not just about how like more competency needs to be created around LGBTQ people in particular, but just like, you know, I don't know, lots of different, different groups of people like I don't know what areas you've you've touched on in your um, learning but maybe you can just teach a little bit more about that yeah I'd be happy to share just kind of some of the things that not just that I like to try to share with other people that are trying to be more inclusive but I mean frankly what I've learned like you said over the past eight years um, I, I will tell you I realized very quickly you know I'm a, I'm a queer person I identify as a part of this community and so when I moved to Charlotte in 2011, it was to find opportunities to do LGBTQ specific work because I knew that that's what I felt passionate to do. Um, and what I learned very quickly is that I had my own um, professional development, cultural competency, continuing education to do about my own community. Um, I think oftentimes that's kind of like a fallacy that we fall into is we're like, oh, well, I'm a part of this group, so I understand what it means to serve this group. Well, you understand what it means to serve people like you within this group, but are you really recognizing that, you know, all gay people, like even just taking the G and LGBT are gonna have different identities within that identity and are gonna have different lived experiences. Like we talked about all the youth that come in here and their different levels of acceptance or not acceptance that they receive at home. So. I think what I learned very quickly is that, you know, it's kind of exactly how much I didn't know and how much work I, I had to continue to do. Um, you know, as a social worker, I believe that I am ethically obligated to be culturally competent and that goes beyond just LGBT people. Um, and what I think the biggest thing I think that I've learned, I would say just during this process of helping other people, of serving LGBTQ people, of helping other helping professionals learn how to be better helping professionals, um, there's a couple of things that I think I've taken away. I think the first thing is, and this is to the other therapists, clinicians, case managers, helping professionals that may be listening to this. Um, we are way kinder to the people we serve than we are to ourselves sometimes, particularly as it relates to like giving ourselves the grace to make mistakes. Um, so I think one of the first things that happens when you talk about serving LGBTQ people is for someone that's not a part of this community, our language can be very intimidating sometimes. You know, the right words to say, how do I refer to this person? What, you know, what identity label do I use? What do I not say? What's data terminology? And what happens is I think a lot of times 
And this even outside of helping professionals, even just friends or parents or allies, I think oftentimes people get afraid of saying the wrong thing so they don't say anything at all. Um, and the reality is, is when you're working with someone that's marginalized or oppressed, the absence of like active inclusion is going to be perceived as exclusion. So even if you're trying to do the right thing by just not even bringing up the subject, what that looks like is that you're just excluding the subject from even being a part of the conversation. And so I think I say all that to say it's OK not to know everything. It's OK to make mistakes. I think our intent in the way in which we navigate conversations is what matters most. Um, and particularly when effectively serving LGBTQ people, you know, the words that people use to talk to and about themselves are meaningful. And so when someone identifies a certain way, you don't have to understand what every word means, you know what I mean? But you can ask that individual, first off, you can thank them, you know, for sharing that information with you. Like, thank you for telling me a little bit more about yourself. Can you explain to me what those words mean to you? Can you explain to me why those words are important to you? How can I support you as it relates to those identities? Like those are the questions that we need to ask, not just, yeah. you know, someone says they're a queer, aromantic, pansexual, and like your head explodes and you, don't <laughs> you, so you yeah. just kind of like yeah. stay down for it. Yeah. Well, instead, like talk to someone. Why did they yeah. tell you that's how they identified? What does that mean to them? And right. I think when we really, you know, start with the fundamentals, start with the words that come out of our mouths when we talk to and about people, you know, that mm -hmm. is the easiest thing that we can change. It doesn't cost us anything to modify our language. Um, and truly, like I said, be kind to yourself, like you're not going to know every identity, every label, every flag, every yeah. pronoun, like you're not going to know all this stuff. And so right. when new information is presented to you by someone, you know, thank them for that information, ask clarifying questions, and then do your best. I think, again, oftentimes people get scared that, oh no, this person's LGBT, I'm going to say the wrong thing. So let me just like shy away from this topic. Again, for that LGBT person, whether you intended it to or not, they're going to feel excluded because you're just kind of erasing them from the conversation or avoiding that conversation with them. So the perception is going to be that that conversation is not welcomed here if that makes sense. And so, yeah. so like lean into it, like just do your best, like learn, ask questions, um, do your own research. Google is amazing. You know, check your sources, yeah. make sure you look <laughs> at a couple things before you just go with one. Um, but truly listen to people when they tell you who they are. I think, I think a lot about trans people when language comes up and, you know, yeah. when someone tells you like, Hey, this is my name. These are my pronouns. This is how I identify so what whether you get it or not like you don't have you don't have to be the expert in someone else's identity but right. what you need to do is respect someone else's identity yeah so and tell you who they are just go yeah there's a certain amount of like humility that should just come into play with like well i don't know this person i am learning about them like yeah. hopefully like shelve some preconceived ideas and just start from the ground you know foundational I don't know them, you know, yeah. I, I think we, I, and like you said, I love that you're like, it doesn't cost you anything. Like it doesn't, you don't, you don't give up anything. It's not about you. It's just about learning about this person. Yeah. Oh, yes. I love that. I love that. And thank you for um, that. I think that's really helpful to remember for anybody. Um, just the idea too, of, you know, what are you? extending back to yourself are you giving back to yourself what you're 
what you believe in yeah. for other people too. Yeah. Yeah, I've Absolutely. definitely seen, and I'm not the only one guilty of it, you know, no. but I think, it is, I think it is something, again, a lot of, I think, like, case managers, social workers, clinicians that I've worked with, Yeah, like, we understand that our clients or that the people that we serve are going through a lot, and we give them a lot of grace and a lot of lead way to make mistakes, to try, you know, but then for ourselves, we expect that, oh, well, we're supposed to know everything. We're not supposed to make a mistake. We're supposed to know exactly how to talk to this individual. And that's not always the case. Like, it's okay to be just as human as the people that you serve, you know? And yeah, I think yeah. remember that, I think it gets a lot easier to navigate conversations with people when we don't always feel the most equipped about that language or that culture. And I yeah. think recognizing that, I think, helps kind of just like the physical, like every, I, I'm like, it's a podcast, so I need to stop doing physicality stuff. But like, it's <laughs> like that exhale, like when your whole body just kind of like, yeah. <sighs> like yes. I think we can just give ourselves the space to be people and to make mistakes. And, and you know, I, I think it makes it so much easier and people can see that when you're yeah. having a conversation with them and when you're asking them questions. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that is one of the biggest things is like, it's okay to make mistakes. And I think the other thing is when you do make mistakes, it's all about how we respond. So let's say you're talking to someone and you use the wrong pronouns for them, you misgender them. So, you know, someone identifies, you know, as a man and uses he, him pronouns and you refer to that person as she and they correct you it's not a big deal. Like, and I think sometimes we get in this headspace once we made that mistake is that we have to overcorrect and we have to over apologize or we have to talk about how inclusive and supportive we are. And you don't have to do all that. You made a mistake. It's okay just to say, oh my goodness, thank you so much for correcting me. He is over there, you know, and then just yeah. keep going. Like, yeah, yeah, oh, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah, you're right. And also, um, the idea of not being like oh I'm sorry but just like thank you that's that's even such a like small thing but also yeah. like you're so right like just stop you. yeah because it's so easy to get into that that sense of oh no I messed up I messed up and then kind of like spiral when, from there versus yeah the real funny part if you really pull back and watch it what happens when you start apologizing like or you know oh my god I'm so sorry I didn't mean to do yeah. that of course I know that yeah. your pronouns like I watch pose every Sunday I love <laughs> Like yeah. when you start doing that, A, it's performative. Like it's not real. You're trying to make you feel better, not the person. And yeah. a lot of times what happens is the person that you misgendered then has to start spending their time to comfort you, like yeah. to help you not feel so bad that you misgendered them. And yeah. like, what is that? Like, stop that. Yeah. You made a mistake. Be like, yeah. thank you so much for correcting me. And then try to restate the statement the right way. You know what yeah. I mean? Because that helps train your brain, like how to say it right moving forward. And it shows the person that corrected you that you listened, you know? Yeah. And then just move on. You yeah. Know, I think that yeah. making the big scene about it is actually more exhausting uh, on the person that you're trying to apologize to. to. Yeah. So just yeah. chill. Like, I think that's <laughs> like, relax. Like, yeah. we're we make mistakes. Yeah um okay so I have held you hostage here for almost the full amount of time but I do have, nice <laughs> um okay I I do just um I guess I guess maybe we could just end by talking a little bit about um 
your your hopes for this next year um maybe plans that timeout youth has and um yeah yeah um my hope for this coming year is that we that it's better than the year before and right now that might seem like a small <laughs> you know um hope or expectation but i'm okay with small hopes right now like i yeah. think every every step forward in a new direction and i want to be clear like that doesn't mean that i hope things go back to the way they were like i don't know that that'll ever happen yeah but I just hope things get better i hope people that need support and resources last year get it easier this year i hope that you know people that whose mental health was really impacted last year by the pandemic i hope it's easier yeah. this year yeah and I know, yeah i mean yeah. i hope that we right. all I hope we all are able to walk a little bit lighter. I hope yes. that we're all able to breathe a little bit easier. Yes. Um, and I hope that we're all able to be a little bit kinder, not just to ourselves, but- And I think and I think that if anything that has happened, if anything has happened in the last year or so, it's that. Um, I don't, I do worry that like maybe with youth in particular, who obviously is who you're working with, I feel like there is that, um, increased isolation i think that almost like i think almost adults have had an easier time of um like internalizing the difficulty into kindness and i wonder if like youth have had a harder time with that like i think difficulty makes us all a little bit kinder generally but i do worry about like the effect it's it's having on younger people this time of separation i'm sure you're seeing it firsthand um yeah so um what i don't know what what support or how do you how do you feel like people can best support young people right now during this time i think the first thing is be honest with them you know show okay. them you're struggling too i think again mm -hmm. it goes back like i was talking about helping professionals not wanting to make mistakes in front of clients or i talked about you know people being afraid to say the wrong thing so they don't say anything young people have never been through anything like this before adults have never been through anything like this before but adults typically like you say maybe have at least time and experience to be able to to make this current situation kind of relative to a bigger picture. Yeah. Um, but even if you're struggling, like let your kids know that you're struggling too. Like it's okay. There's something just like this space at timeout youth is so reassuring when other youth are able to talk to other youth and be like, Oh, you have to deal with that at home too. Me too. Like that feels good. There's camaraderie and community. Um, and so, you know, if you have young people around you at home and you see that they're struggling, um, don't just tell them to suck it up. Don't just tell them it'll get better. Let them know like, Hey, like this isn't that great. Like I'm struggling yeah. too. Like I think honesty and authenticity, authenticity when we speak to young people goes a long way. Um, I think sometimes people just make this assumption that, you know, younger folks aren't capable of these kinds of conversations. When you um, need it. Um, I just know firsthand at this point from working with so many young people over the yeah. years that like you're only fooling yourself if you think that kids don't get it. If you think that young yes. people are tuned in and aware of what's going on, um, the young people I serve today are 
you know, I think about my own self at 15 and 16 or 14 and 15 years old, and I don't think I was nearly as self-actualized. I don't think I was nearly as empathetic. I don't think I really thought about myself and how I related to people around me nearly as much as young people do today. They've grown up differently. So talk to them differently and, and, and be honest with them about what you're going through and, and ask them, you know, how they're doing and then just listen. You don't have to solve every problem, but I mean, maybe they just need space to talk so they feel less isolated, you know? Um, I think that is one of the biggest things I think that we can do right now is just be honest with not just ourselves, but with each other. Yeah. And particularly with young people. I think that honesty, it builds relationships, it builds rapport. Um, it, again, it helps them not feel like they're in a vacuum by themselves. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think honest conversations right now really helps all of this seem a little bit more manageable. Yeah, yeah. Oof. Okay, well, O'Neill, you've been very patient. I, <laughs> I did not at all ask you what I meant to or in any order. You just like flow with it and you've been amazing. I am so... I'm excited that you've been, that you've shared so much like about the organization because again like I didn't even know it existed before a year or two ago and um, I I think it's like really valuable work that y'all are doing in the community and especially right now um, so thank you for being on here. Thank you for sharing about what you do and what you've learned. And I'm sure whoever has listened to, to this, um, and I had to bear through my, um, mumbling has gained something valuable from what you've shared. So I appreciate it. Thank you. It's been a pleasure getting to know you over the past couple of weeks, kind of like coordinating all of this. Um, and, like I said, I'm always happy to talk about queer people. I'm always happy to talk about social work. I'm always happy to talk about timeout use. So thank you for allowing me to do all three um, and for helping share the news and the word of what we do here at Timeout Youth. Um, and hopefully we'll be around to continue doing this work for a long time or as long as it's needed. And I appreciate you. Yes, thank you. Um, real quick, before we end this, you also have a podcast and I'm gonna need you to plug it real quick in case anyone. <laughs> is listening sure. <laughs> do a shameless self-plug um so when did you start your podcast was it last year this was last year when i think everyone started one <laughs> when we all realized we were going to be locked up and <laughs> there were limited ways to communicate and yeah <laughs> exactly so very similar origin story um my partner and i were pretty much sheltered in place at home and our bestie jen lives all the way in the in oklahoma city um and one of the things that we all i think also did a lot last year too was binge stuff on netflix and so one of the shows um that we binged and fell in love with the three of us was Shit's creek and so we just found I don't know, a lot of joy, a lot of laughter um, in that show during, you know, a really cruddy year. And so we started without a paddle, which is our shitty little podcast where we talk about Shit's Creek. Um, and it's just a way really for us to talk about, to talk to each other. It was our way of making sure we scheduled a Zoom call every week to spend time with one another. It was a way to do something creative. Um, and it was a way just to talk about something we loved. All three of us, I think, really resonated with that show for different reasons. And so, 
yeah, if you want to check it out, like I said, it's called Without a Paddle. Um, you can find us all over podcast platforms. Our um, Instagram is at shitty pod, like shit, like shit's creek. Um, <laughs> yeah. They were super easy to find, hopefully. Uh, and yeah, it's just us talking about each episode, kind of sharing some personal stories that remind us of the episode. And it was just really more than anything, it was a way to have fun and, and stay close to one another um, during this pandemic time and during the whole sheltering in place. Yeah, I, well, I love it. Um, I'm sorry to say I haven't listened yet, but I'm going to. And if you're not a Shits Creek fan, you should be. You need to discover the show and then oh. go discover the podcast. It's such a great <laughs> show. It's so funny because like I'm obsessed with Catherine O'Hara and have been for a very long time. So funny. When the first came on, I was like, I have to watch the show. I have to watch the show. And I'll be honest, like, it took me three tries of watching the first season before I was like, okay, I get it. I'm fully invested. <laughs> and like, once you're in, like, you're all in. Um, oh my gosh, they had me in like the first episode. <laughs> it took me, you know what? And we talk about it on our podcast. It took me, I think, until um, Moira got the gig where she was um, at the wine vineyard when she does the fruit. Oh, commercial. that is a great one. Yes. Like, <laughs> watching her do that commercial, I was like, okay, I get it. I get what this show is doing now. Like, I was like, I'm fully in. Because I don't think there was ever a show I wanted to like more than Shit's Creek, mainly for Catherine O'Hara. Uh, <laughs> And then like, yeah, it took me a minute, but yeah, we're all in now. We actually took a little break and we just started re-recording. So we have new episodes coming out on August 2nd. God, that's next Monday. Jeez. Um, <laughs> August 2nd, dropping it August 2nd. And because there's a new season, right? When did the season start? Um, or well, am no, I no. way behind? No, the show is completely, completely done. Like, oh, I see. Okay, yeah, I've no, not been following. <laughs> um, so they did. They ended up doing six seasons. They're all done. We binge watched five of them when they were on Netflix, and then we had. And while last year, I think is when the sixth season finished, and so we had to wait. It was available, um, or I think we just bought it and watched it because we had to see how it ended. Um, but yeah, no, it's completely done now. And so we're just kind of taking our time and going an episode at a time and working our way through Extend it. Extend it, make it last for <laughs> fans. <laughs> I've now seen the first two seasons. I've seen every episode at least five or six times now. Like it probably more it's, than that. Just it's just, just it's gonna, time. yeah. It's it's never gonna get old. So no, it's so good. Um, thank you for mentioning that. And also, I, and I hope that we'll actually get this back up and on as well. Several years ago, before all of this, we actually started a podcast at Time Out Youth called Out With It. Uh, yeah. Timeoutyouth.org slash podcast. And um, it's really fun. And that's actually what encouraged me during the pandemic to think about trying to start one personally um, with my friends. Um, but it's a really good podcast if you want to listen. We have about 10 or 11 episodes and then the pandemic. Um, it just really messed up our ability to get youth in and to do the recording. And that was, and now the, obviously there's so many ways we can do it. So we need to bring it back. Um, but there's about 10 episodes and it's like staff and you sitting together and talking about different topics around orientation and identity. Um, there's yeah. some really great conversations on out with it as well. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that. That was actually one that I had had the chance to listen to because I got on your uh, website. I wanted to do like a little research and I listened to it. And I was like, whoa, I don't listen to a lot of podcasts. And I just thought it was so like engaging. And I don't know who hosted it, but it was, yeah, it was great. So like whoever is out there listening to this too, um, out with it on your website, Time Out Youth. So good. Yeah. 
So yeah. Um, and again, Lee, thank you so much. Yes. I hope you have yes. Thank day. you so much. And I can't wait to hear us talking. And I'll have to check you out some more too. Okay. Awesome. Right. Thank you so much, O'Neill. Have a good day. Bye.